0: Hey, thanks for listening to the Rusty George Podcast. Today, I'm going to replay an interview that I did with one of my favorite pastors. He's a guy by the name of Larry Osborne. He pastors a church down in San Diego, and he's just an amazing guy. In fact, pastors, you know him, refer to him as Yoda, because he just seems to have all knowledge of all things. And uh, I sat down with him uh, several months ago and just asked him about not just pastoring, but also what's it, what's it like to lead in the local church as as Jesus would have, had he been a leader in a local church, besides just Jesus himself, uh, what that would look like and volunteering and all those kind of things that impact so many of us. And I think whether you're a pastor or serve in the church in any capacity, you're really going to be blessed by what he has to say. I know I was. It was one of our more talked about podcasts, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So take a listen to this and think about maybe one or two people you can share it with while you're listening. Well, I'm honored to have Larry Osborne with us on our conversation here today. Larry has been a a friend and a mentor of mine for several years now, Uh, an author, a pastor, and uh, just an all-around good guy and a Laker fan. Uh, So uh, we we have that in common as well. Larry, uh, I'm going to ask you just a few questions and let you just talk, because you have such great wisdom. And knowing that our main audience are church leaders, people that you know, they work 50, 60 hours a week. They're they're coaching their kids softball games or t-ball games and going to karate practices and leading in the church in some capacity. Um, Would you just, from your perspective of being in ministry for as many years as you have been, what are the things that you think, man, I just wish every volunteer, every volunteer leader in our church, I just wish they knew these two or three things. What would you say to that?
1: Well, probably the first thing is I, I wish they would uh, understand the long, gla- uh, long-term kind of glacial impact that uh, volunteer ministry has, because we tend to look at everything as if it was an avalanche, uh, and you look back and you go, "Wow, what difference did it did it make?" But uh, every uh, one you turn around uh, and talk to that's a leader uh, looks back on uh, events and people in their lives that probably had no idea the way they were making an impact. That, that Sunday school teacher, that uh, encourager in, in fifth, sixth grade, uh, maybe that junior high uh, worker that I looked up to as, uh, boy, that's what I want to be when I grow up. But at that point, I think the volunteer that's uh, doing that uh, doesn't in any way see that long-term impact. It's hard to see how this is a small part of what's going to bear fruit 20, 30 years from now. So we all want dandelions instead of oak trees. <laughs> and uh, we're saying, man, nothing's coming up. Nothing's coming up. And so uh, I wish that uh, all of us, not just uh, volunteers, but every one of us in ministry could understand that uh, a lot of our most powerful fruit, uh, we don't even know uh, that it's uh, uh, germinating. In fact, just yesterday I, I met a pastor who talked to me uh, just in passing he was with a group of pastors being on our campus uh, and he said oh yeah seven years ago you you know you took a phone call from me and uh, you gave me an hour of time as we were in this crisis situation and now and he's telling me all these great things that happened i had no memory of that call i probably at that point because he was a pastor in crisis hung up thinking like oh man this guy's in a mess i hope i didn't make it worse (laughs) i had no sense of what he was telling me yesterday was actually accomplished during that time, and that's what ministries like for everyone and everybody at all points.
0: Isn't that interesting? Because I, I think back to our conversation, and I share this in our opening. Um, I, I have those experiences with you. You wouldn't remember them at all, but at at my point, it was the greatest crisis I had experienced at that time. For you, you were at a birthday party for your grandkid. And, you know, you were kind enough to take the call and speak words that I've never forgotten. And, you know, you went back to the party. It's an interesting dynamic in the whole concept of shared memories, you know, and we, we have some that others don't. But that impact you have on, on somebody else at the church uh, can be huge. And I think volunteers certainly certainly miss out on them. What, what else? What, what else yeah. would you... Yeah, well, and,
1: and even on that, the people who are at your greeting
0: mm. table,
1: You know, when you have somebody that comes to you and says, man, the place was so friendly. Well, they don't know that's what they accomplished that day. Right. I I think the next thing I wish every volunteer knew is something that uh, I wish uh, the people that lead volunteers knew, actually, not so Mm -hmm. much volunteer. And that is that people sign up for the job, but they stay for the relationships. Right. And uh, if we ever forget that, then we get mad at people because they're, quote, flaky. Mm-hmm. Uh, so somebody says, yeah, I can help in parking or I can help in third grade, or, you know, I can help cut donuts in half because God forbid anybody takes a full one. Um, and, uh, <laughs> so uh, at that point they do that. And then often those of us that are key lay leaders, putting the volunteer team together or staff members, uh, we think, oh, wow, this fits their gift mix. They volunteered for it. So now I go off and fill some other slots. And it's our job always to be a, a cruise director, making sure that there's genuine relationship and community taking place. And that's that's what makes a volunteer team sticky. Right. Uh, um, I, I just wish everybody that put even two or three people uh, under them into a little team would understand the importance of not just getting people aligned with gifts and aligned with interests, but also aligned relationally.
0: That's so good. Uh, what are you noticing right now with volunteers that are younger versus those that are older? So much is said about the millennials and Gen Y, Gen Z, and all of that. Any differences you're seeing right now in how people lead as volunteers?
1: I think most of that's a bunch of crock. Uh,
0: <laughs> I knew <laughs> I you were going to say that.
1: talk m- about millennials, and I go, "Well, what millennial you what are you talking about? Are you talking about a suburban millennial? Uh, are you talking about an urban millennial? You're talking about one that's..." Uh, Uh, out for athletics or on an AAU travel squad somewhere. You're talking the one that's trying to be valedictorian. Uh, You're talking about a migrant worker's son. Stuff that I hear uh, generationally is crock. Mm -hmm. What it does is it takes a group of people and straight lines them. And if that was true, I'd still have a ponytail and be living out of a VW van. (laughs) Life uh, life changes. Uh, A human nature is to ask what's in it for me. Yeah. And maybe Gen X, Gen Y, millennials, boomers ask a slightly different what's in it for me. But that's that's the same thing. Right. So I'm finding with millennials, they want to know what I do matters. That's like they present that, right? That's the phrase they use. Well, what they, they, they want to be difference makers. Mm-hmm. Well, at the end of the day, I don't care how big the difference making is if they don't have a relationship with the people they're, quote, trying to make a difference with. They bail out just like everybody else did.
0: Right. Yeah. This, and, uh, the whole what's in it for me thing is nothing new, is it?
1: No, no. And, and, uh, I want to be important. You know, I hear older pastors complain about millennials want a job that changes the world. I go, dude, go back and listen to music of the sixties. And it was all about, we're going to change the world. Don't trust anybody under 30 or over 30. Uh, and uh, all the old boomers are now talking about legacy. And I go, dude, that's just the backside of the self-importance you claim millennials have. Right.
0: So true. You ain't
1: got got no legacy. Nobody remembers a great-great-grandpa, unless he was famous or infamous.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let's shift gears a little bit. Spiritual disciplines for your leaders. When you think about all the volunteers you have there at North Coast, at all of your campuses, uh, what are two or three spiritual disciplines you hope they all maintain? They're, They're so busy, so much going on. You've written about this extensively, spirituality for the rest of us. Um, just so, so helpful. And, and you're so good at kind of, I don't want to say lowering the bar, but making it seem like it's doable. Yeah. So what are the two, what are the two or three things you hope everybody does?
1: I'll actually wear lowering the bar because that's what the Pharisees got mad at Jesus for. Okay. I'll take that. Right. It's like, Hey man, you're making it too easy. And, uh, so uh, I think one of the biggest problems we have when it comes to spiritual disciplines is we're too dialed in on the watering schedule instead of the fruit. Hmm. So I wish the, that not just all our volunteers and leaders understood this, but I wish everyone would, that it's, it's all about the fruit and it's not the watering schedule. So I have some highly disciplined, uh, disciplined people who they read their Bible on a regular basis, they get up early, have a cup of coffee, and spend their time alone with God, and yet everybody thinks they're a jerk. That's the last boss you want. Uh, they have no empathy, no EQ. Uh, And I've got other people that aren't much of readers, and uh, they have journals, like 20 of them, all with three pages written, and after that, it's blank. You ask them when the last time they read their Bible, they'll go, well, last time I was at church, and the fruit of the Spirit in their lives is amazing. So uh, at the end of the day, we are way too dialed in on various watering schedules. Here's what I tell people. By the way, I tell a pastor, it's true for your pastoring uh, it's true for your marriage, it's true for your children, it's true for your spiritual walk everywhere. It, it's a fruit, not the watering schedule. Mm-hmm. So if the fruit is good and you're doing everything wrong, keep doing everything wrong. If the fruit sucks, Google watering schedule. <laughs> we, we've all been, you know, instead of spiritual disciplines, let me shift to uh, uh, an analogy of it. We've all been to the marriage conference, and a lot of us had really good marriages till so we went to the marriage conference and found out we were doing everything wrong because uh, it was being presented by a guy who had a really bad marriage, and he gives a recipe for how he turned himself from a selfish pig into a more serving spouse.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I go, well, that's cool. right? But if, if, if date nights were all that important, God would have put them in the Bible. Uh, if reading the Bible every day was that important, it would say that, and Gutenberg would have come along much sooner than he did. Um, so it's, it's just really about obedience. That's what I look for in people. Are you, are you, do you have the discipline to live to the light you have right now? Mm. Uh, if you do that, God will give you more light. That's so and good. You, will, you will grow into who you're supposed to be.
0: Okay, now I heard you mention this uh, probably about a year ago, and it was a light bulb moment for me, as I usually have when I'm talking with you, um, the, the difference between leadership and discipleship. Oh, yeah. Talk, talk a little bit about that, because I thought that was so profound.
1: Yeah. Well, what we've done is uh, there are two rails the body of Christ runs on, and uh, it has no future if those rails aren't there. That's the, the train runs on it. And every local church and the church universal have to have these. And uh, one is discipleship and one is leadership development. Because if you don't have discipleship, you you don't have salt and light. If you don't have leadership development, you don't have a future. And so wh- what I find is is uh, we've had a tendency to turn those two rails into a monorail. And the top rung of being a disciple is to want to be a leader and then to be a leader and then to become an elder or to become a, a somehow vocational ministry that's like the apex of commitment Uh, and the reason we do that is is the discipleship path for leaders turn them into leaders and then they gift project and assume everybody who becomes a committed disciple will do that Mm. Uh, and and everybody does that you know it's not just leaders who gift project just uh, meet the handful of people who are at the prayer for the persecuted meeting and they're going to be all upset at the rest of the body doesn't care and uh, talk to the people at the workday. They're going to be upset at those who don't work. Talk to the pastor who studies the Bible all day. He's upset everybody doesn't study the Bible more. Uh, We preach the body of Christ, but don't really believe it. So what happens is discipleship is about the next step of obedience, and everybody has a next step. Even the apostle Paul, as he's writing Philippians, says, I've not yet obtained. Hmm. But leader, and by the way, it's mandatory for everybody. But leadership is voluntary. If anyone aspires to sit at my right or left hand, here's the path you must take. Not you all should aspire for that. He tells Timothy, if anyone wants to be an overseer, oh, okay, here's what they have to do. Uh, Even the most famous discipleship verse, what is it, 2 Timothy 2.22, I think, says, tells Timothy, to find faithful men, pour into them as Paul had poured into him. And we turned that into discipleship, and it's not at all. It's the Apostle Paul telling Timothy, you need to find the next group of people that you pour into, like I poured into Silas, Epaphrodites, you, Titus. Uh, So this confusion of the two has created arrogant leaders who are mad at non-leaders because they're not committed enough, and despairing non-leaders who think they're not good enough because all they are is an obedient accountant. Mm. Uh, And they're pleasing Jesus completely. Uh, so I, I, tell people if you've gone to Bible school ever or seminary, you had in your class people who you knew couldn't lead their way out of a paper bag and they're spending all that time and money. Why? Mm-hmm. Because they thought commitment was vocational ministry or the mission field. Right. I go, no commitment is obedience. Right. Nick of obedience.
0: Yeah. I, I've seen that a lot with people in our church that apply for a job on staff. And they don't get the job, so they assume they've reached their apex of leadership at the church, so they have to move on, which yeah. is not the case.
1: Yeah, One of the things that causes this to happen is our language. Uh, like I, uh, I get asked, uh, people talk about being called into ministry. So I get asked, are your kids in ministry? I say, oh, yeah, all three. Oh, wow, where do they serve? North Coast. Oh, that's amazing. What do they do? Uh, one's a C-suite officer for a software company. And uh, another one does 30 to $80 million bids for uh, large government projects. And the other is a school teacher. And they look at me like, well, what kind of church you have? And I go, oh, I'm sorry, you are my kids in vocational ministry. No, I'm the only one who has to be paid to be spiritual. They actually serve Jesus for free, and they're out on the front lines. So we need to shift our mindset uh, that we, we really, again, like the body of Christ, we, we preach it but don't live it. believers. We preach it, but don't live it.
0: Yeah. Okay. I know our time is running short, uh, but I'm fascinated by what I can see right now, and our listeners can't, your whiteboard behind you. And (laughs) and I've had a chance to see this up close and personal. You have some little leadership or wisdom nuggets up there on that board, which to the commoner looking at it wouldn't make any sense, but I think they're fascinating. Would you pick out two or three of those and tell us what they mean? (laughs) uh
1: i'll never trust a man with no teeth is up there uh, and uh what that reminds me of is trust your gut uh it comes from a trip uh in uh italy uh we were at the uh, train station in rome and a guy in an outfit for the working for the trains uh he um, wanted to help us with our luggage and i kept saying he's got no teeth he's got no teeth but my wife and my friends kept saying no he wants to help us and it wasn't stealing It he just wanted to help us get on the right train Sure enough, they let him, we get on the train, it ends up the wrong train, all kinds of things happen, and he was just wanting the tip for carrying our luggage up a steep flight of stairs and getting us onto a train, and uh, they kept saying, well, what, what's it matter, he has no teeth? I go, there's socialized medicine here. The dude <laughs> works for the railroads, he's got teeth, and so I have, because so many times we talk ourselves into something right. that our gut told us, this is not a path to go to. Uh, hire somebody we knew uh, 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 didn't, uh, didn't work uh, and uh, different things like
0: that. So Okay, give us one more.
1: Oh, gee, one more. Uh, decisions. Focus on your compass, not your clock. That um, uh, So often when it comes to making a decision, uh, we don't make the decision that takes us in the right direction. We take the dis- make the decision that uh, reaches a goal the fastest. Mm. Uh, and it's all about clock. Um, It's what I call uh, trying to be an avalanche instead of a glacier Mm because an avalanche is much more impressive. Right. It doesn't do squat, knocks down a few trees. can't tell it was there.
0: Okay. I'm going to wrap up with this. Um, You've written a lot of great books. I I love them all. Um, But would you, for our listeners who may have not read anything, would you give a brief summary of Lead Like a Shepherd, Thriving in Babylon, and 10 Dumb Things Smart Christians Believe?
1: Well, lead like a shepherd. You know, I write about leadership, and that's probably where I'm best known with pastors around the country, uh, more than uh, folks that are uh, in the churches. And uh, lead like a shepherd is a combination of the two kind of books I write: Contrarians, Guide to Knowing God, Ten Dumb Things, uh, Accidental Pharisees, Thriving in Babylon. They're about walking with Jesus. And then I write Sticky Teams, Sticky Church, uh, different leadership books. And Lead Like a Shepherd was my attempt to put the two of them together mm. uh, and talk about the heart of being a leader. Because anybody who's over anybody in ministry is a shepherd. So I tried to write it for lay leaders as well. It's not just for vocational ministry. Because the early church, when Peter wrote to elders, they were in house churches. Mm-hmm. So if you've got a ministry of 20, 30 people, Lead Like a Shepherd is for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a multi-site mega church, it's for you. Um, let's see the second next one was thriving in Babylon, right? It's really a look at Daniel. We think of Daniel as an adventure story for kids that if you trust God and are bold, the lions won't eat you. And we forget that he's the only dude that lions didn't need in all of history. And, uh, the fire won't burn you up. Three guys are the only guys who survived, you know, fire thriving. Uh, Daniel is not a kid's curriculum. It's an adult primer in how to live in a godless society. So that's what I wrote it for. Uh, Try to help people understand that when you're, when you're in Babylon, uh, there is a way to be Daniel. And it's not just about being courageous. It's about being kind, polite. Daniel served evil, wicked Nebuchadnezzar so well, he kept getting promoted. Mm-hmm. That's a message we don't get uh, enough. Uh right. That's where his influence came from. And 10 dumb things smart Christians believe is just that. <laughs> <laughs> they're the most common little cliches that we throw out that have nothing, none, uh, no support.
0: Uh, right. in the things like everything happens for a reason, those kind yeah. of things. Yep, yep. Everybody goes to a better place. Uh, they're just a whole bunch of... Larry, this has been so, uh, not just entertaining, but so helpful. And I, for one, I'm just so grateful for all you do for all pastors, leaders, and people in the church and outside the church. So thank you for your time. And thanks for our conversation. Yeah, it's been good talking to you, Rusty. Well, hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Larry's great. Every time you're down in the San Diego, San Diego area, stop by and you know say hi to him uh, and I know I often do and I just I just love my time at his church and love his books and if you have not read uh, leading as a shepherd uh, check that out or one of my favorites um, called accidental Pharisee it's a great read for all of us who are Christ followers before we slip into that role of becoming a Pharisee. So share this podcast with somebody else and leave us a review if you can on iTunes when you get a moment. Thanks so much and we'll be back next week with our last installment of our Summer of Podcasts with one of my favorite conversations with John Burke, who interviewed over a thousand people who had near-death experiences and what they all had in common.